0: Get, get something to take you the rest of the way through the week. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to be doing Daniel today. I uh, change my perspective for, for today. Um, I'm going to preach a message called Living Under the Holy Spirit's Control. Living Under the Holy Spirit's Control. And from Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18 to 20, it says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speak to, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we have in this passage here is really an explanation of, of the, uh, I guess, victorious Christian life. Uh, several elements here we see as a result of being filled with the Spirit is uh the melody in your heart the song that comes out of your mouth or uh, as well giving thanks uh you're a thankful person so that's why when you got a complaining spirit that's a sign that there's the you're not under spirit control you're under the flesh's control and so i think it's very important for us if we're gonna be successful in a christian life to learn to what it means to be filled with the spirit of god and so i'm gonna just give a couple of uh thoughts here today about this um I know that when we are controlled by God's Spirit, we can have a song in our heart uh, rather than being discontent or bitter or negative and so forth. And the key uh, to content joyous Christian life is really a matter of control. Uh, That's what it is. It's control. What's controlling you? Uh, People with control problems are rarely happy no matter how much they believe God. The problem is a yielding of control of our lives to God. I ever meet somebody that had control problems? They never they never wanted to let anybody else have control, you know, or if something goes out of control, they lose uh, their perspective of life or they get angry or whatever it may be. Uh, that's the flesh. The flesh thinks it can control life, and uh, but it's deceiving you. <laughs> it can't. It can't. In fact, like I said, even on our Sunday night um, series, how that uh, basically... What we need to do is really live in a state where we're understanding that whatever God allows in your life is something that He's allowed for you to go through in victory, no matter how out of control it seems. And so the Lord can give you that joy in the middle of that seems like it's out of control. And so I want to give you a couple of points about the Holy Spirit first off is, number one, we are indwelt by Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, "'What, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost?' which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So spirit indwelling has nothing to do with what you do. It is completely real because of what Christ did for you. All right, so if you're saved here today, you've got the spirit of God living inside of you. In 1 Corinthians Paul was talking to carnal believers. And he was telling them, you know, even though you're carnal, guess what? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're bought with a price. And so it doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are or not, you're still indwelt. And God owns you. And uh, so even though they were carnal, they still had the Spirit of God in them. The second point is we are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For by one spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether there be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. And this is a very interesting passage. You get people, uh, you know, there's a group, uh, I guess you would call them Brighters or landmark group. Uh, They believe that this passage would only refer to your baptism into your local assembly, into your church. And uh, I don't believe that. I believe that uh, it always starts in the spiritual and the physical always reflects the spiritual. And so when it's saying that we're all baptized into one body, the first thing it's telling us is that when you get saved, you get placed into the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're a part of him. You're a part of his spiritual body. But that spiritual body is not functional, just there, just floating around, or just without having something physical to contain it and for it to work through. And so, It's also talking about how that even if you are baptized into the body of Christ at salvation, you also have a place that the Holy Spirit has for you within the local body of Christ. So if you're born again and you're baptized into Christ, you also have a place within the body of Christ in its physical manifestation. And so there's no such thing as someone saying, well, I'm just a part of the church. And we don't have to have organized religion. We don't need to meet. No, that's not true. Uh, I mean, there is a the positional aspect, how that you're placed into the body of Christ. But that's not practical. It doesn't really affect anybody. Until that spiritual position has a place to flesh itself through. And that's the physical body. Amen. So this verse, you could really apply it to both. But you have to first apply it to the spiritual baptism. And this isn't the spiritual baptism that you have on the day of Pentecost, where the the Spirit came and empowered the church. This is talking about every time someone's born again, the Spirit of God places you into the body of Christ, all right? And that makes you a member of His body. And then you flesh that out within the local church. So to have a group of people or a person that is born again, saying, I don't want to be a part of a local church, is totally anti-scriptural. There is no scripture there. In fact, uh, the word church, I think it's used 112 times in the Bible. And um, I think, I'm trying to, I think 109 times of those, it's referring directly to the local New Testament physical church. All right. And the other times it's like upon this rock, I'll build my church talking about the institution. Uh, The other time it's talking about Israel, the church in the wilderness, But we know it's not Christ's church in the wilderness, but it is a gathering, it's an assembly, and that same word is used uh, in different places in the New Testament where there was a political gathering, where they were called out and they gathered together, the word ecclesia, But it wasn't translated to church because it's not talking about the church of Christ, it's talking about a political assembly, but the same word. So you understand that every time the word uh, ecclesia is used, it's talking about a gathering together. So uh, spiritually, you're not quite gathered together yet, amen, Uh, but physically we can be, but the Bible says there is going to be a time, it talks about the glorious church and that's at the rapture. See, at the rapture, all born again believers are going to be gathered up together and stand before God and that'll be that final universal church that everybody talks about, amen, but this isn't the universal, this is the local, amen, amen. And so it's just good to get your head around stuff like that. Um, So Christ is denoting an eternal position with God in this passage, but it also is referring to a practical action of God, how he places you with your unique gifting into the body of Christ. And so the Spirit of God gives you what you need to be a part of the physical expression of, of Christ's spiritual body. Amen. And we'll look at that in just a little bit. So number three, we are sealed by him. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so you are stamped with a private mark of God to preserve you. In Him, the seal is unbroken. The book of Jude talks about to those that are preserved in Christ Jesus. So you're actually placed into Christ and preserved there. It's like you ladies do jarring. My wife was saying today, it's, it's a, I think it's a, a lost art today. You know that ladies know how to actually jar, you know, and and make a garden. Isn't that what you talked about? Uh, what do you, what do you call it? Pickling, canning, canning, not jarring. <laughs> I'm talking about the jar. <laughs> well, that, it's a lost art, amen. <laughs> as long as she knows how to do it, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, and so when you're placed into the into the jar into the can. The, the Lord seals you. She loves laughing at me. This will keep her going for days, amen? Anyways, number four, we can be guided and led by him as well. In John 16, verse 13, it says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And that is a general application of this passage. Of course, the primary, he's talking to the apostles, to the ones that are going to write the scriptures He's saying he's going to guide you, and then it says, but whatsoever things you shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so he's talking specifically to the disciples before the scripture had been given. So he's saying what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit of God is going to speak to your heart, and you're going to write down things that are yet to come. Now, I'm not going to do that, but the general application of this, a secondary application is that the Spirit of God has come and He will guide us into all truth. And 1 John talks about, I believe it's chapter 4, it talks about we all have an anointing. You have no need that man, any man teach you anything. In other words, it's talking about the Holy Spirit of God as a teacher, and He's your major teacher inside of you so that when you're listening tonight, uh, if you're in tune with the Lord and you're filled with the Spirit, you'll catch the concepts, and you 'll learn it, and you 'll assimilate it into your heart amen, and that 's through the Holy Spirit of God and in your Bible reading devotional life, number five, we are to be fully controlled by him, and we see that in our text, verse number eighteen it says, "Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit, so be to be filled is to be controlled uh, to be drunk with wine is to be controlled by wine, to be filled with the spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. Amen? And so we don't want to be controlled by foreign substances. And this is a great passage that teaches us about not doing drugs, not drinking alcohol, not doing anything that will affect your thinking or your judgment. Because you're supposed to be completely filled with the Spirit of God. And that's why the Bible talks about John the Baptist, how that he was not to drink wine, and he was filled with the Spirit from the mother's womb. Amen? And so, what a great example for us to follow there. But they are—they are not—they are not, do not walk hand in hand those two things. You can't be spirit-filled and drunk at the same time. You can't be spirit-filled and stoned at the same time. You've got to be spirit-filled without any influence. Amen. So that is the will of God for you. All right. Um, so to be filled means to fulfill, to perform fully the duty or obligation. Because to be filled isn't just a mystical feeling. We're not just talking about somehow, oh, look, I feel filled and God's controlling me. And I I don't know what he's going to do, but he's moving me around and I'm floating. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about duty. It's talking about obligation. It's talking about fulfilling the very will of God. That's what being filled with the Spirit of God is. So you can't just say, well, the Lord led me to do something against the Scripture. (laughs) That's just not the way it works. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so being filled with the Word of Christ is the same as being filled with the Spirit of Christ. No word, no spirit. Amen? And if, and if we're not reading our Bibles, we're not submitting to Scripture, we are not Spirit-filled. We're not full. We're full of something else. Something is keeping us from seeking the Lord, from seeking guidance in our lives. We need to understand how God wants us to behave on the job, how He wants to handle that problem today that showed up. You guys had battles this week, right? I hope you handle them scripturally. Because if you didn't handle them scripturally, then you're not filled. But if you're filled, you would say, okay, how do I handle this attack today? How do I handle this negative spirit today? How do I handle this person in my life that's causing me problems? Now, if you go to the scripture and you submit to that, then the spirit of God can fill every aspect of your life. Amen? But if you don't and you react in the flesh, now you're filled with the flesh, not the spirit. Amen? And that's why many people, when they do go through adverse things, instead of turning to the Lord, they turn to drugs, alcohol, something to self-medicate, because they're out of control. The flesh is in control. And the flesh says, this is how you, can, this is how you help me. This is how you help me get through things. And, of course, the flesh is always lying to you. Amen? Never works. So, number one, the problem of control. Literally, the flesh wrestled, wrestles for control even after salvation. In Galatians 5.17, it's still there. Uh, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Uh, you can never rest back and just pretend like the battle is over for you. I mean, in fact, I always tell people when you get saved, that's when the true battle really begins. You know why? Because before, you just had one side inside of you. One army. But after you got saved, another army joined the battle, the spiritual army, amen? So now you've got two opposing sides clashing with every decision you make, every place you go, everything you want to do, you've got two perspectives looking at it. And you have to make your choice as to which one you're going to submit to, which one will control you, amen? And that's an important thing to understand here. And so your flesh is always seeking satisfaction, in the world, in some way. So the flesh will always be looking for that immediate re- gratification. What gets me what I want the quickest, amen, instead of the Spirit, which many times causes you to wait. Waiting on the Lord, trusting Him, and seeing Him work it out so that our faith is built. But if we're going to continue to always just look for a quick solution, then the flesh is always going to be controlling our life, amen. Amen. And so that battle is constant. And so it is that the problem in our lives is a problem of control. Uh, every day, who's controlling? What's controlling? When I wake up, who's controlling here? Old man, new man, <laughs> right? And we got to ask ourselves that. Letter B, the flesh and the spirit both express themselves when they are in control. So they, they give us ways to, uh, for us to uh, see evidence of who is controlling my life. Now, the first one is the works of the flesh, this is what uh, you'll. This is how you'll know if the flesh is in control. In Galatians five nineteen, it says, "Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness." revelings and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so a carnal Christian will manifest these works, every last one of these. So a Christian can do all these things. They can be a manifestation of who's in control in your life. You can commit adultery as a Christian. Fornication, you shouldn't, but you do. (laughs) You know, fornication, uncleanness, witchcraft. Well, we looked at rebellion. Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. Uh, That's when the flesh is in control. Wrath and strife, causing divisions and seditions and heresies and different things like that. These are all signs that the flesh is in control in your life. Amen. That's why you got to be careful. Even the things you watch on TV, some of the shows that are out there are witchcraft. There's a lot of witchcraft out there these days. Even normal shows are inundated with the occult and witchcraft. You can definitely see who's in control of Hollywood. Amen? And so you've got to be careful of that because your flesh likes it. Your flesh is curious. Your flesh is drawn to that. So, oh, I don't like witchcraft. Your flesh does. Your flesh will be drawn to it. And when you give yourself two things like that, you know that now the flesh is in control fornication and so forth, all kinds of things like that. Number two, though, with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. So this is the fruit of the Spirit in your life if you have yielded control to the Holy Spirit and allowed Him to control your life by submitting to Scripture. Amen? If you're in submission to Scripture... Guess what's going to happen? You're going to love more. You're going to have more joy in your life. You're going to have peace in your heart. You're going to be able to suffer long with people. Give them time. Amen. Not always on them and pressure and I need this now. And uh, the Holy Spirit of God gives you that patience and gentleness, goodness and faith. Meekness is is that aspect of being looking at a situation and saying, Lord, as bad as this is, I'm going to submit to you because I know you're working this out for my good. Amen. And the Bible says "The blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. It's talking about the, the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom, who's going to be those that are going to be ruling the cities and the towns and the villages? And who's the one the Lord's going to place in charge of things? People that have learned to trust him in situations, the meek. Those are the ones that get those positions. Amen. Not the ones with a short fuse. Not the ones that can't submit to the Lord and, and follow Scripture even in tough situations. Uh, he's looking for people to delegate to. But they have to be godly people. And, as, and if we live in this life by faith, suffering for Him and trusting Him through our trials, He says, I will make sure for a thousand years, that's a whole lot longer than you're going to live down here. Amen? So we can put up with this. Look at my life now. What am I, 54-ish? Ish? I think I am. She always says I'm older than I am. (laughs) 55. You're 55? No, I'm not. 54. (laughs) I think. (laughs) I am. And you know, (laughs) she's doing it to me again. (laughs) I think she's just playing with my head. Don't worry, there's no life insurance on (laughs) me, And so, uh, anyways, where was I going with that? Yeah, meekness. And uh, how the Lord will give us a position in the millennial kingdom. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. But that's it's given to people who are expressing the fact that they are controlled by the Spirit of God. Amen. Those are the ones that get rewarded. Those are the ones that get positions in the kingdom. Uh, Letter C, if that means anything to you. Surrendering to the desires of your flesh quenches and grieves the Spirit of God in us. And so I was talking to someone recently And they were thinking that because they were grieving the Spirit, that they lost their salvation. I said, well, if you could grieve the Holy Spirit and not have him in you, that'd be quite something. But the reason why he's grieved is because he's with you. If he wouldn't be with you, he wouldn't be be so grieved, (laughs) you know. He's not grieved at all the world and what they're doing, but he sure is grieved when he's living inside of us and we're not submitting to his leadership. That's what he's grieved about. He, he knows he can't lead the lost, you know. That's an external conviction. That he works in the conscience to convict them of sin and so forth, to reprove the world of sin and of judgment and so forth. But when he's inside of us, now he wants to be very specific. He wants you to specifically submit to every movement, every decision. And when I stop doing that and I give into the flesh, the Bible says he becomes grieved. He grieves for me and grieves for our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a terrible thing. And it says, uh, in First Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, quench not the spirit. So the power of God in your life is dependent upon your yielding to God's control. So quenching God's spirit is quenching the ability to do what God wants to do through you, you know? So, oh, I can't do that. Well, pro- if not if you're grieving, you're grieving and quenching the spirit of God. Then you can't, you know? Well, I'd never be a preacher. I just can't do that. Or I don't want to preach. <laughs> well, nobody can. I'll tell you that. There's not a time I get up where I think I can do it. In fact, every time I say, Lord, wow, you've got to do this or nothing's going to happen today. You've got to work through me somehow. And, you know, and if it's not me, it's got to be from, from here to that heart. Something's got to happen in between here. From what comes out of my mouth to the heart of that person, you've got to do something. Because my words alone can't do it. Amen? We've got to submit to that. Uh, But if I'm quenching it, God can't use me. I won't even have the right words to say. I won't know how to say them. Amen? God's got the way of, of putting those things out there. You cannot do anything right and good without the Spirit of God in control in your life. You'll respond wrong. You will desire wrong. You'll have the wrong motives. And you know what? Even the things that you think you're doing good are not really that good. (laughs) you know because we deceive ourselves oh i'm not so bad well yeah you probably are you know because you are bad in your base nature and the only thing good that's in you is what christ put in you and the only thing that good that comes out of you is what christ does through you and so what you do is nothing so you are not the key here the key is whether you're willing to yield and submit and let him do it amen letter d we should seek Fresh filling and control of the Spirit, whenever we have grieved Him, and so if you've grieved God's Spirit in you, you must seek a fresh filling from the Lord. You must you've got to resubmit. Amen. Lord, I've not been doing right. I need to get this right, because <laughs> until you do, He's not gonna He's not gonna work through you. He's He's stuck in the porch of your your life. I got a sermon that I preached a long time ago. One of my first sermons. And I, and I related it to a house and how the Holy Spirit comes into the porch. And he's all there, but he doesn't have all of you. And then he knocks, so let me into your kitchen, <laughs> you know. Let me clean up your dirty pots and pans and your organize some things. And as long as you don't let him, he won't. But the moment you submit, he comes into your kitchen and he takes control of that. And then you say, how long He come in your living room? And you let him in there he says, let me in your bedroom. Oh, I don't know about the bedroom, you know. And then you let him in there. And so you have all of him, but he doesn't have all of you. And so when he gets in your bedroom, oh, I need to go in that closet. (gasps) The closet, you know, the skeleton's in the closet, right? You see, he's not happy with just simply having a, a big part of you. Your whole life, he's working to control every room of your house. And you know what? Things can happen where you take it back and you kick him out of the bedroom, you know? And so what you need to do is say, Lord, I just want to invite you back into the bedroom. I made a mistake. I thought I could get away with this. I, you know, I got let the flesh get in control and I want you to come back. I invite you to come back in and take control of this room once again because it was a whole lot happier when you were in here. Amen. So that's what it is. You need a fresh filling. The Lord never tells you to get to seek the baptism of the Spirit, but the Bible does command you to be filled with the Spirit. That's the one command you need to submit to. He's never once commanded you to be baptized in the Spirit ever. It's always been incidental to your decision to receive Christ. On the day of Pentecost, it was incidental to them waiting for the promise of the Father. So they didn't ask for it. You don't ask for the baptism of the Spirit. It comes, you know, and it came on the day of Pentecost. And when you get saved, he baptizes you into his body. But what we need to be concerned about is not the baptism of the Spirit. We need to be concerned about the filling of the Spirit. That's what it's all about. That's the only command he's given in the scripture. Amen. And I know some of the old timers, they preach about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And I know what they're saying, but doctrinally, it's not quite correct. Because the Bible's never commanded you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's just incidental to what God is doing. Amen? But filling isn't. Filling isn't just incidental. Filling is something that causes, requires you to do something and maintain it. Amen. Amen? And so that's different. So number two, the procedure. Procedure for the control. So the problem is flesh and the Spirit. The problem is which side's going to win here? Who's in control? The procedure is if we are to be controlled by God, it does not happen automatically. It does not happen if you come to church. It doesn't happen if someone prays for you. These are helpful things, <clears throat> but they are not sufficient in themselves. The first thing you need, letter A, is desire. And Mark 11, says, Therefore I say unto you that whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And so... You're not going to pray for anything you don't desire. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord lo- allows things in your life to wake up your desire. I think about this, you know, when, when things are going well, I find it, it's harder to pray. But when things are tough, it's easier to pray. Well, why is that? <laughs> you know, because <clears throat> he's awakened my desire. Because I realize that I need him more. And so I feel like it's an urgent thing. I need you, Lord. Please help me in this situation. If you don't do something, it's all going to go haywire, you know? Uh, I need it. But then when everything's going well, oh, it's great, Lord. Thank you for today, (laughs) you know? And we're not really seeking God's power in our life. But when we need him, that's when, whoa, that's when we go to him. Now, let me ask you this. Why would he stop bringing adverse situations if it's bringing you closer to him, right? Right? But don't you think he'd rather have that? <laughs> I guess we need to get to the point where we would rather have that than be in, in comfort, drifting away from him. Would we rather suffer so we draw close to him? Or would we rather not suffer and drift away from him? You think about the Lord's perspective. He's saying, yeah, I know everything's great for you down there, but <clears throat> I don't hear, hear from you very often. So he allows something. A little financial problem, a little health scare, a little personal issue, you know. Then all of a sudden I'm back. Hey Lord, I'm here. Oh, thank you. Come on. (laughs) Let's talk, you know. And so desire has to be there. So do we desire to be controlled by God? One that is born again and knows it should, uh, knows it should have a desire to have God controlling their life. Desire is a longing, so you should long for the Lord to desire to control you. Uh, like it says in Psalm 42, 1, As a heart panteth after the water books, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul sir- thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Oh, that we get a desire in our heart to want to be in the presence of the Lord, to want to talk to Him. You know, to be tired of spending, you know, all day doing your work and just waiting to get off so you can just spend a little time talking to the Lord. Wouldn't that be great for that to be the desire of your heart? I think if you're a Christian here today, that's what you want. But what's happening? The flesh. The pressures, the things that the devil has put in your mind during the day, it's hard to get rid of them. You're thinking on it, you're, it's, it's inundating your thoughts. The, the uh, darts have been hitting. It's burning up. <laughs> Amen. And so after, after work, we're not thinking about the Lord nor desiring it until we realize, boy, it's only by Him I'm going to get peace. And then I'm going to desire it. Um, <clears throat> letter B is con- confess the procedure. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is agreement. Confession isn't just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. (laughs) No, it's, Lord, you are right. I am wrong. I violated your word, and for that, I do have sorrow. That is godly sorrow. And godly sorrow worketh repentance. What that means is, if that's what's in my heart, and I have a sorrow for what I've done against the Lord, what's going to happen is I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to do something else. Amen? Nobody that, nobody that does not change has ever seen repentance. Repentance is when you change. Amen? It's a result of having a change of mind. And so when you really confess, and that's why many times you've got to be careful. You, oh, well, they said they're sorry. Well, sorrow is one thing. But what are you sorry about, you know? you sorry you got caught? Sorry you're in trouble? Sorry that it cost you something, you know? Or are you sorry that you broke God's word? Are you sorry that you transgressed the holy law of God and you grieve the Spirit of God inside of you? Like, what is your sorrow, you know? If you have true confession, you get into agreement with God about your sin. And that's uh, that's a very important aspect of, of uh, the procedure of whether the Holy Spirit of God controls you or not is if you have true confession, okay? Um, in Proverbs twenty eight thirteen, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So notice, I'm in agreement with God, but because I'm in agreement, I forsake it. Then. Mercy comes, Amen. But living in sin, I can't claim mercy when I'm deciding to continue on. When I don't care about the sin itself, maybe I care about the consequence. Well, that's what Cain cared about too. That's all he cared about is the consequence. This is too hard for me. Too tough, you know. The Lord was merciful, let him live, but he sure didn't walk with him. He sent him away. Sent him away from what? From him. And Cain was happy to live apart from God for the rest of his life. That's a sad thing. Number three, or C, is yield. Yield. Romans 6, 13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The third step is a matter of surrender to God. Your surrender must be verbalized to God constantly throughout the day. Uh, Without acknowledgement of surrender, God will not take control of your life. You have to give it to him. (laughs) I surrender, Lord, where I go, what I see. Somebody comes to you and they say, hey, you should not be doing that. And if you can say, well, that's none of your business. (laughs) And now you just know you're not surrendered to the Lord. When you're doing something you know you ought not do, you're not yielded. Amen. And sometimes you do do something that you shouldn't do and you, maybe you don't know it or maybe you haven't got your head around it yet and somebody does come to you and they say, hey, this isn't right. That's why the Bible expects you when, when a Christian does that to you, that you repent. Oh, I didn't know that because he, the Lord just expects us because we're saved and he's paid such an awesome price for us, he expects that when when he approaches us and gives us truth, that we'll respond to it. It's a very abnormal thing for a Christian not to submit to the Word of God. Amen? It's abnormal. Um, This is an attitude of yieldedness to God's design and desires for our lives as revealed through his Word. Letter D, appropriate appropriate how do i do this second corinthians 5 7 for we walk by faith not by sight first john 3 and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight believe in your heart that if you have desired uh, confessed sins and yielded yourself to god's control that you are under god's control It takes faith to believe what God has said in his word. Amen? You can't say, oh, God wouldn't ever use me. Well, (laughs) what you're really saying is, I don't want to get right. I don't desire God. I don't want to yield to him. I don't want to confess my sins. Be honest. Amen? Because if if you desire him and you're yielded to him and you confess your sins, you can appropriate that victory by simply believing. Just believe him faith for without faith it's impossible to please him (laughs) you've got to believe him (laughs) amen so many times i come up to the pulpit and i'll even say this over and i know charles spurgeon did the same thing when he walked up to his pulpit he'd say i believe in the holy spirit i believe in the holy spirit (laughs) i believe in the holy spirit his faith he knew that the faith and that god would use him if he would believe it by faith amen so sometimes you're going to face things and your 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 soul is going to rebel. It's going to say, "No, I can't do this." But your spirit is saying, "Yes, you can." <laughs> so you have to submit your members, your legs, say walk towards what I'm supposed to do. Mouth open to what I'm supposed to say, <laughs> you know? I'm simply yielding my instruments. And when I do that and I appropriate that by faith, God says that he will control it. Amen. He'll be involved with it. It doesn't mean that all your English will be perfect and you won't you know, mess up you know, when you're preaching. I do it all the time, you know. But you know, what it'll do is it'll make sure that God will use it even in all your imperfections and weaknesses. God says it's not about how perfect you are. It's about how... It, someone once said, I think it was Richard Sandlin, the preacher that preached when I got saved. He said, the Lord can give a mean lick with a crooked stick. Amen. You know what that means? He can take a crooked stick and give you a mean lick. <laughs> Amen. He can use a crooked stick. And some of us are crooked sticks. We're all crooked sticks. <laughs> and if we'll just put ourselves into his hand, he'll use us. Amen? But we've got to believe it. We've got to live under that control. And letter E is power. Second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be unto God. Which always causeth a triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And so the power of God will come upon us. The result of these steps is victory and success in your Christian walk. It will not change the problems as much as it will change your reaction to the problems. See, a lot of people govern their Christian life by the stuff that's going on around them, but that's not how you dictate or how you judge whether you're living a good Christian life. You're living a good Christian life by judging what's going on inside of you. You know, but our prayers, our prayer lists, I guarantee you are mostly 95% external. And that's why you should begin your prayer list not by, Lord, do this for others and do this out there and do this for my house and do this for the, you know, uh, change my financial situation, change this. It should be, Lord, change me. Give me wisdom, give me love, give me discernment, give me all the things that I need to make proper decisions because some of the things you're praying that God changes are God's gift to you to make you better. And so you're going to become discouraged praying for something that God says, I'm not going to take that away because I gave it to you. I gave you that thorn in the flesh, Paul. At some point, he had to come to grips with it that this is what God wants for me. So he had to stop praying for it. Take away the thorn. Take away the thorn. Take away the thorn. And he could spend his whole life praying for taking away the thorn. And the Lord says, I'm not going to do it. But it only took three times. And he got it through his head. He says, I need the thorn. Which means my way of judging things is not proper. I was thinking I can be better without the thorn. God says you can be better with the thorn. You know? And that, that's quite a reconciliation we got to have in our mind on some of these things. And so much of our lives is spent being disturbed about things that God has allowed instead of just accepting it and realizing that, I, that He wants to work through us because of that situation. And without that situation, you wouldn't be effective. Amen? So let's be careful how we pray. And that's why I think we first need to pray about what's going on inside of us. That's the first thing on your prayer list, is you. And you know what? It'll help you because so many people, I don't think, want to be honest about what's in here. (laughs) I think they even distract themselves by having a prayer list that's external because they don't want to look inside their own life. Then they tell you, but look, I'm praying, I'm praying. You're, You're doing nothing nothing is happening <laughs> all I know is if I pray for God to do something in here I will see many answers to prayer you try that someday, Lord give me a love for the people of the church Lord give me wisdom in this situation on, at the, on the job <laughs> or this family problem <laughs> instead of Lord change my family change them change them <laughs> Lord change me Because maybe you need to change me before you change my family. Maybe you've allowed this so I change. (laughs) And just think about this. If you do not change the things that people go through because of your stubbornness. (laughs) Amen. Think about it. That's how bad he wants us. (laughs) By the way, your arms and your legs and your physical life are not a big deal to God. He will take your leg off. And to him, he's saying, you're not worse than you were before. In fact, you'll probably be better if you can get it through your thick skull. You understand that? But we are so physically driven, we think now that I don't have the external, somehow I can't be as effective. God is saying, I allowed it because you're not effective now. Right? And so we got to change our perspective. That's how we get the power of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I'd rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen? So he gloried in it. I praise God that I can't see properly. <laughs> you know? When most people live their whole lives fighting against that malady, that, that flesh problem that they have, when all reality realities need to submit to it. Amen? And so... Um, My third point, I didn't really want to get into tonight, but there's also, once you've got the procedure uh, figured out, the problem, the procedure, the third point is the potential. The potential when you're under control. And that's what I said before, like when you're baptized into Christ, you are placed into Christ, and that's wonderful. You're sitting there safe and sound, you're tucked in Him, you're preserved, you're jarred, amen, (laughs) you're all jarred up, you're in Him, preserved, but... That's not where he wants to leave you. There's a potential that you have because you're in him. If you will allow that position that you have in him to empower you in this practical life, the Bible says that he has gifted you. And I'll read you this verse. that says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. <laughs> you know, there are 18 gifts mentioned in the New Testament. Of these five, we call them sign gifts. They're temporary, accomplishing God's purpose in the early church. But that leaves us 13 gifts. Do we know whether we even have one of them? (laughs) All I know is if you're saved and being placed into Christ, you are gifted. So because of that spiritual baptism, you are now gifted as you are placed into the local assembly. See, that's another aspect of water baptism. The water baptism is a physical expression of a spiritual truth. Amen? And it also puts you into the physical body. Why? So those spiritual gifts can flow through you into that physical body. That's why you can't do it without a local church. A Christian without a local church is is really wasting his life. (laughs) Because this is the platform that God uses for your gifting amen, is a local assembly. So to sit there and say, I don't have any gift, well, you're just sucking your thumb. You do. Don't call God a liar, (laughs) because you are gifted. Um, All believers can have one or more of these spiritual gifts, but few truly understand the potential that they have in God's work. And there's much, and I'm not going to get into that today because we are going to get out early, like right now, but I wanted you to understand one verse here. It says, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, or verse 2, it says, You know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols as even you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, and their diversity of operations, but is the same God which worketh all in all. That's why division, and when division happens to church, it's so anti-Christ. It's anti-Christ. Because all these things are from the same Lord working for the same purpose. So when there's division, the devil's got in. Amen? And so it goes on to say, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Amen? So the Spirit of God wants to manifest Himself through you to profit everybody. That's what God has for you. That's your potential. Now, we can, we can live in our fear and our lack of faith and not appropriate the victory that we have and just sit in the pew and not do anything. Or we can start allowing the Spirit of God to control our lives. Because when we start using our gifting in the church, now we know we're under the control of the Spirit of God. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. And it'll be in love, joy, peace, meekness, long-suffering. All those things will work side by side with you, the manifestation of that gift in the local assembly. So, I mean, as we go through Romans, we're going to look at that and we're going to look specifically at gifting and so forth. I'm even going to give you probably a spiritual gift test and stuff like that so you can find out what your gifting really is or at least a guide to that. But, you know, I wouldn't wait till then. (laughs) You know, you can seek that and ask the Lord about it and say, Lord, how am I gifted? I know I'm saved. Christ is in me. But what is it that you've placed in my life that makes me able to profit this church? And you ask God that, and he will help you begin to understand. And you'll begin to already see that it's, it's something that you've already probably seen in your life a little bit when you're dealing with people. And that probably needs to accentuate it and grow. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And the potential needs to grow. And you imagine if all of us together would allow that spiritual potential to grow, and our gifting would come, become very strong, <laughs> you know? And we're all different, so we can't expect others to do the same thing. But we will all compliment each other because it's the same spirit, the same Lord. He's not confused in the matter. Oh, I gave too many people that are, have the gift of helps. Not enough with the gift of, you know. No, he's giving exactly what we need. And whatever we don't have, he says, I'll, I'll make sure I get it to you. And he'll bring people in with that particular gifting. That's why the local church is so important. Amen. So you can't live without it. You can't, or he, I mean you can live. But you can't be successful or victorious without the local assembly. It's just impossible. All right, let's bow our heads.